my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Mark Moss Show, where we're always talking about the decentralized revolution, talking about the way the world is changing through our very eyes, or I should say in front of our very eyes. And we look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. And today we have a big show. I'm titling it The End of the International Monetary System. Yeah, it's that big. The end of the existing monetary system that we know today. We're going to cover a whole lot of things. We're going to cover the historical context and the current frustrations of the current monetary system that we have today. We'll talk about how we got to this current international monetary system, the problem with it. We're going to talk about the new world order and the inherent flaws of, of what we have going on. Um, and there's a lot of talk with bricks and things like that. We're going to talk about those problems. We're going to talk about the false solution that's being put forward. And yes, that is CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currencies. We're going to talk about that. And then ultimately, we'll talk about where I think the future goes. I think it's almost inevitable um, over a long, long enough period of time. So we're going to cover a whole lot of things. This is something that you need to know because, yes, the international monetary system is now dying. <laughs> I was going to say dead. I mean, it's not dead. It's dying. It's on its way out. Now, it's a death by a thousand cuts. So uh, I do want to just say very clearly here for everybody that's listening, this does not mean that it's imminently happening tomorrow or next week or next month. Uh, it's happening. It's not an event that will happen. It's something that is happening. So it takes a long period of time. We're going to cover that in more detail. So a lot of times people would say, you know, a lot of fear mongers online trying to get you to buy things that say it's going to die tomorrow or August 15th or October 15th. You know, uh, Jim Rickards, and I get an email from him like every other week. Uh, this one event's going to kill it. This one event. Well, no, it's not like that. Uh, so we'll cover all that and more. 
uh, in this. Now, if you miss any of this, don't worry, I got your back. Listen to me on the podcast. Just search The Mark Moss Show on any of your favorite podcast apps and you can find me there. But to understand uh, what we're talking about when we talk about the international monetary system is ending, we have to understand what the international monetary system is, right? We have to understand what that is. Now, we know that um, the entire global monetary system is been very cyclical. When you look back through thousands of years of history, you see that approximately every 80 years, the financial system that we have resets. I call these financial revolutions. Um, if you've been listening to me in any period of time, you know that I talk about three revolutionary cycles that are converging, one being financial revolutions, one being technological revolutions, and one being political revolutions. That's why the show, we talk about the convergence of those three things. But the financial revolutions are cyclical. They tend to occur in waves. They happen with periods of innovation and growth, followed by periods of crisis and upheaval. All right? And this is because financial revolutions are driven by technological breakthroughs that create new opportunities for investment and speculation, but they also come with new risks um, and things like that. Now, we'll go through the different ones that we've had in history so you can get a better understanding of this. But one example of a financial revolution is the development of the stock market in the 17th century. So the stock market hasn't been around forever. Um, and there was actually a point where companies weren't able to go raise capital. I mean, sure, they had some savings or they got it from their friends and family. But the stock market starting up allowed them to go raise capital by selling shares of ownership to investors, which allowed, obviously, companies to grow and expand, uh, allowed opportunities for investors to make money. Uh, but it led to a whole bunch of risks that were never there before, allowed, allowed uh, asset bubbles to pop up and all kinds of speculation, and people were putting money into things that they didn't know, and of course, all kinds of scams and schemes popped up, and so it became a big problem. Now, we saw that um, after that, then we had to come up with a better way to control the money, and so then we saw the development of the banking system, really the modern banking system, which would be like a fractional reserve banking system into the 18th century, and this is where banks didn't keep your money Instead, they loaned your money out. And so when you wanted to come get your money, it may not be there. And this led to lots of bank runs. This is kind of through, um, as I said, like the 18th century in the United States, we had all types of um, what they called like wildcatter banks, or it was called the free banking era. And during this time, um, banks were just constantly going out of business. They would take your money on deposit. They would loan it back out. A lot of times they would lose the money. And when people would come to get their money, they wouldn't have it. Um, then more people would hear that they didn't have their money. It would cause a bank run and they would go away. Now, we've recently just had some bank runs in the United States earlier this year where Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic Bank didn't have the money to meet depositors' withdrawals. So this still happens today. The difference is that the Federal Reserve guarantees those deposits and just printed that money and gave them back to the people. We didn't have that back then. And so we can see that throughout history, we see these booms and busts, these financial cycles that constantly um, uh, roll over. Now, there's a book written called The Fourth Turning. I've talked about it quite a bit. It was written by Neil Howe and William Strauss was supposed to have Will, um, Neil Howe on the show last week. Unfortunately, he had to reschedule, but hopefully we'll have him on soon. So we'll get you on that. But um, he wrote a book and he talks about these 80-year cycles. So I talk about these financial revolution cycles happening in 80-year cycles. He talks about 80-year cycles as well. But in the book, The Four Turning, he's talking about what's called generational cycles. And generational cycles are basically where you have four different turnings. And within this 80-year period, you have four 
20-year periods. And so in the high period, you have a period of rising prosperity and optimism. Then there's an awakening period, which is a social and political unrest. Then an unraveling, a period of economic decline and social fragmentation. And then ultimately the fourth turning, the, the fourth period is called the crisis, a period of national crisis and transformation. And in the book, they argue that it's the, that the financial revolutions occur during this crisis turning of each cycle. And this is because the crisis turning is the time of great change and upheaval. And it's during these times that new financial invasions are most likely to emerge. Now, that's where we're at right now. We're in, you know, in this book that they've documented these four, these, these four cycles, we're in this fourth turning, we're in this final 20-year uh, period, which is why I constantly talk about we're at this revolutionary period where this 80-year cycle is being reset. Now, we can go back through some uh, examples in history, um, but I don't want to go too, too far back, but we can see about 80 years ago, the entire world changed, the monetary system of the entire world changed, and we went from um, it was the pound, the British pound sterling was the reserve currency, the global dominant currency of the world. The dollar took over in 1944. We went into something called the Bretton Woods agreement where the whole world decided not every single person in the world, but the, most of the developed world got together and decided that the dollar would be backed by gold and all the other nations would be backed or, or would be pegged to the dollar. Okay. So that was about 80 years ago. Uh, we got to that point. Now, here we are 80 years later, and we're basically seeing the same thing. Now, to dig into this Bretton Woods Agreement a little bit um, deeper, just so you can understand how this existing system got set up and how this looks moving forward, as I said, um, really the pound sterling started to lose its power into the early 1900s. The U.S. dollar started taking over. It's important to understand this because it wasn't an event. It was a process. It was a long process. It was a 30 or 40 year process to get to this point. Now, eventually on 1944, on a certain date at a meeting in Bretton Woods, uh, which is in New Hampshire, uh, like I said, these groups got together. This international monetary system was created. And it was really out of the chaos of uh, the World War I to the Great Depression and things like that. And really the Bretton Woods system was based on three key principles. One, having fixed exchange rates. So remember, the dollar would be pegged to gold and countries would peg their currency to the dollar. All right. And the dollar was supposed to remain pegged at $35 an ounce. Then there's also convertibility. So then countries could, anytime they want, they could redeem those dollars for the gold. They could convert them back into the gold, which is actually still real money at the time. And then finally, the third piece was the role of the International Monetary Fund. They were created to provide the financial assistance during this time. Okay, so this is the period that we've been in for the last 80 years, and it's all coming to an end. So I'm going to explain how it's coming to an end, what is coming forward, what are, what's being proposed, why I think it's going to fail, and what I think ultimately wins out. It's a pretty big deal. Hopefully you're paying, uh, paying attention. Now, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the end of the international monetary system as we know it today. What's being proposed next and what I think comes next. We'll cover that in a minute when I come back. Don't go away. I'll be right back. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. 
I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're running down into what I'm calling the end of the international monetary system as we know it, which sounds bad, and it is. Uh, It's going to be bad for a lot of people who aren't paying attention, but not you because you're paying attention. Let's keep going. We talked about how this resets, the international monetary system resets about every 80 years. Talked about it through like the the lens of like this fourth turning, which you should go read the book. It's really good. Um, and we talked about how about 80 years ago, the Bretton Woods Agreement was reached, which was the current monetary system, international monetary system that we have today. But it's ending. All right. Now, we kind of talked about the purpose of that Bretton Woods Agreement, and there was three main tenets of that. Um, and that was one was that the dollar was supposed to be pegged to gold, and there was supposed to be a fixed exchange rate. So nations should be able to exchange uh, for gold. They should be able to redeem the gold, convert it back to gold. And the IMF was supposed to be sort of in the middle to kind of help this out, lend money to countries and things like that. Now, it worked pretty good for the first few decades. Um, the problem was, is uh, the same problem that always happens, which is uh, governments can't help but printing lots of money. Now, I don't know about you, but I might have a hard time too. If I had a money printer in my house, I might keep hitting that button as well. And that's where the governments find themselves into. And so let's just go back even a little bit further than the Bretton Woods, just to kind of illustrate this for a minute. So in the United States, the Federal Reserve that prints the money was created in 1913. Okay, so in 1913, they started printing more dollars. Now, they were only supposed to have dollars for gold. So gold went into the bank. They gave me a paper gold certificate uh, uh, as as an exchange, an IOU. Anytime I wanted, I could go back with that paper certificate and get my gold back because gold was money, okay? You have to 
put your mind back in that space. Paper dollars were not money. Gold was money. The paper dollar was a claim, an IOU for the gold. Okay. So in 1913, the Federal Reserve started printing more of these paper gold certificates. But there wasn't more gold. There was just more claims for the gold. So more people thought they had gold than they actually did. And people didn't understand this because gold had been money for 5,000 years. And so now more people thought they had a claim to gold than there was actually gold available. So fast forwarding 1913 to 1933, if you do the math, that's uh, 20 years, the government got in a big problem. They had printed way too many of these paper gold certificates. And that was a big problem. And they needed the gold because at the time gold was money, right? The government was in debt. The government had to pay the debt and gold was money, not paper money at this point. So what did the government do? Well, they need more gold. Where are they going to get the gold? Well, we have a good idea. Let's just steal it. Let's steal it from every American in the country. And so they did. So they went on a bank holiday because the gold was at the bank. Banks went on a holiday. The banks opened back up. Executive Order 6102, Americans can no longer get gold from the bank. You're no longer even allowed to own it. But don't worry, don't worry. Uh, we're going to give you the money for it. And so they gave you the money for it. Now, it's important to understand that. So that was the first time the government printed way too much money and they stole your gold. Then uh, from 1933 to 1944, they printed too much money again. And then they got a new, new agreement, the Bretton Woods Agreement. Instead of $20 an ounce, gold would now be $35 an ounce. That way they could print more dollars. Then from 1944 to 1954, 64, the government again printed way too many dollars. And remember the convertibility piece? So these nations who were holding these dollars were really holding claims to gold. That's what they were really holding because remember dollars weren't money. And so the nation said, hey, we know what you're doing. Uh, we don't want these fake paper certificates. We want the real gold. And so the nations of the world kept coming to get the gold and the U.S. is running out of gold pretty quickly. 1971, President Richard Nixon said, enough, we default, we're not paying you out. We're not going to pay gold anymore. Now, during that time from 1944 to 1965, the global economy was growing at an average annual rate of about 5%. Now, this was the fastest period of sustained economic growth in world history. Now, during that time, when we had a pretty good money, it was pretty sound, it was pretty much backed by gold. We had massive prosperity. We also had massive trade expansion. During the same period, the global trade expanded at an average annual rate of 8.5%, the fastest period of sustained trade growth in world history. Now, if we go back a few hundred years to the approximately 1400s, we also had a period like this. And it was also the same conditions that led to that, which was sound money and global trade. So um, the florin in Florence, Italy, they created a gold coin called the Florin. It was the longest lasting gold coin in history that wasn't debased. It lasted 400 years without being debased, and it led to massive global trade and global, global prosperity, sort of like what we saw during this period as well when we had the sound money and global trade. All right. The problem is that the system began to break down in the 60s and the 70s, and that was because of too much money printing. Why was there too much money printing? Well, it's the same thing. It's always the same thing. It's the same reason why Britain lost their position, and it's the same reason that we're losing it today, and that's war. So in the 70s, we, in the late 60s, we went into the Vietnam War. The United States started running huge bu budget deficits to finance the war, 
And this led to too much money printing and started losing to a confidence in the a loss of confidence in the US dollar, which is these other nations said, wait a minute, we see what you're doing. We don't want the dollar anymore. We want the gold. We don't trust. There's no confidence. We don't trust the dollar. We want the gold. Now, just to give you an idea how big and fast and how bad this was, the US ran large budget deficits to finance the Vietnam War. So for example, the federal budget deficit was $25.2 billion in fiscal year 1968, which was equivalent to 2.8% of GDP. Now, $25 billion doesn't sound like a lot of money anymore. It's crazy that these numbers don't mean a lot to us anymore. That was massive back then. Today, the budget deficit's $2 trillion. $2 trillion. So it went from $25 billion to now $2 trillion. Now, uh, we have to think about the, the equivalent to the percentage of GDP so uh, like I said, back then it was 2.8. Now by the fiscal year of 1971, so fast forward through the war from 68 to 71, the deficit had grown to 38 billion. So now from 25 to 38, and it had gone from 2.8% of GDP to now 3.2% of GDP. Now today, we're also fighting wars. Now we're fighting wars everywhere. We've been fighting war on poverty. We've been fighting war on drugs. We've been fighting war on terrorism. We're literally fighting a hot war with Russia right now. Uh, we're fighting a war on COVID. We're fighting a war on disinformation. We're fighting a war, you name it. We're fighting a war everywhere. And now instead of 2.8% budget uh, deficit to GDP, we're at eight. As a matter of fact, the budget deficit of the United States just went up to $2 trillion. And the exact same thing is happening, which is the other nations of the world are like, wait a minute, we don't want your dollars anymore. We see what you're doing. There's a loss of confidence here, and we don't want it anymore. This is why I love history, because when you study history, you start to see that it's just the same things happening over and over and again. And the reason why that's important to understand is once you realize that it's the same set of circumstances that cause the same sort of things, especially if you can kind of break these down to like a first principles level and understand the mechanics of this, then you start to be able to predict the future. You start to be able to know where things are going in the future. And that's exactly what we're talking about. So I'll, I got to take a quick break if you're just tuning in and listening to the Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the end of the global monetary system, the international monetary system as we know it today. And I'm breaking down how we got here. I already covered that. Uh, breaking down why it's breaking down right now. When I come back, I'm going to talk about where it looks like it's going next, which I think inevitably fails, and what the ultimate um, outcome and opportunity is. So there's a whole lot to cover. If you've missed any of this, you don't want to miss it. This is a history lesson, and it's also telling the future at the same time. Check me out on the podcast, The Mark Moss Show. But I'll be back with more in a second. Don't go away. I'll be right back. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. 
I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the end of the international monetary system, the end of the monetary order as we know it today. We went through the history of how we got here, what the heck happened, how is it breaking down. If you missed that, don't worry, catch it on the podcast. Just search Mark Moss Show on your favorite podcast player or on YouTube. You could watch me and listen to me at the same time. Just search Market Disruptors on YouTube and you can find me all archived there. Now, that's sort of how we got here, right? Uh, Britain lost it because they printed too much money to fight the war and the U.S. dollar took over. Uh, the U.S. has a history of continuing to print too much money. And finally, we're in wars everywhere we look and we printed too much money. And now no, um, people are losing confidence in the dollar as well. Same thing happened. Now, just like it happened over a 30 to 40 year period back then, it's also been happening over a 30 to 40 year period right now. Okay, that's why I'm saying this is not an event, it's a process. So what's coming next? So the system is breaking down. We see this breaking down everywhere. And how do we see it breaking down? Well, uh, let's, let's look at a couple examples. So first of all, we know that the dollar has become weaponized. And it's weaponized by sanctions. So if the United States doesn't like a country, a nation, or a group of people, just sanctions on you. Sanctions, sanctions, sanctions. So what does that mean? That means they're kicked out of the financial system. That means they can no longer use the dollar. They can no longer use SWIFT system to move money around. And, you know, surprise, surprise, some nations don't like this. Um, but even more than just not liking it, if you're kicked out of the financial system, you have no choice but to figure out another system. And this is the piece that seems to be missed by our leaders. If I kick you out, Russia, if I kick you out of the global financial system, you don't just like go away and shut your country down and just die. No, you just find another way to trade outside the dollar. It seems pretty simple. U.S. government leaders don't seem to understand that piece. And that's why, you know, we talk about how that was always going to be the death of the dollar. But it didn't start there. As a matter of fact, it started way back. And we saw Russia started to de-dollarize, started the process of doing that all the way back in like 2013, 2014, when the U.S. started sanctioning them over, over Crimea and what's going on over there. Uh, we can see that China actually started de-dollarizing much earlier. We saw China start to de-dollarize back in like the 2008 era. Now, um, China, of course, still owns massive amounts of U.S. debt, U.S. treasuries, but they've been starting to de-dollarize as well. They want to hold less and less and less of that. Um, and this has only been um, escalating since then. Obviously, since 2008, it's been picking up steam. Obviously, since 2014 with Russia, it's been picking up steam. And yeah, ultimately culminated when they literally got kicked out of the financial system and they had no choice but to move on to something else. But so China and Russia being, you know, the two other of the three global superpowers in the world have been 
trying to get out of the dollar, and they've been doing a pretty good job. China has their own currencies. They have two currencies, as a matter of fact, the yuan and the renminbi, and they use these a little bit differently. It's a little bit manipulative, if, if I will, and it's obviously very opaque. We don't know what the heck they're actually doing there. There's no transparency at all. Um, but they use these two different currencies to do their own trade, and what they're really trying to do is they're trying to have sovereignty. Why should any country be at the whims of another country, like what happened to Russia, where they just lost their $650 billion war chest. No, no one wants that. I don't want that. I don't want my life hanging in the balance of another country. <laughs> I don't want my life hanging in the balance of the United States, this country, which I don't. That's why I've been building out my own sovereignty package. So I have homes in multiple states. I have homes in other countries. I have money in different types of assets. I wouldn't put all my money in one stock. Why would I put all my life in one country? hasn't worked out well to other people, but that's a whole other subject. If you'd like to hear me talk more about that subject, I'd love to hear you on social media. Hit me up at one Mark Moss and let me know what you think. But so we've seen the world starting to figure this out. It's been weaponized. We're moving away. And of course, this has all really kind of come to a head with uh, last month, we had this meeting of the BRICS, the you know, this coalition of southern nations, so it's Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. I've talked about this extensively. I don't want to go deep into that right now. But all these nations got together and they're like, hey, uh, the U.S. is uh, weaponizing the dollar. Uh, we're afraid we're going to be kicked out. We should find alternatives. And what they recommend is that everybody should start trading their own currencies. We should no longer be trading in dollars, let's trade in yuan and, and, and rupees and uh, rubles and, and whatever else we have, right? Um, and they talk about potentially using gold as the settlement, or I should say, not settlement, uh, gold as the reserve asset, and then their currencies for the payment. So if you really think about the dollar, there's two pieces there. There's the dollar that's the currency that's used for payments, and then there's the dollar that's the reserve asset, meaning like U.S. treasuries. And so what you hear a lot of people say, uh, friends of mine that we just don't agree on everything with, they say that there's no replacement for the dollar. Um, there is no challenge for the dollar. The death of the dollar is greatly exaggerated because the dollar has the, the reserve currency of the world, meaning that we have deep global bond markets. We have the U.S. Treasury market. No other nation has that. And I agree, they don't. Russia doesn't have it. China doesn't have it. There's no challenger for the U.S. bond market for the reserve asset. And then as far as moving money around, the U.S. has the SWIFT system that moves money around. You have the correspondent banks. And so no, no one has that. There's no challenger. There's no replacement for that. And I would agree. But I think they're missing part of it. And what are they missing? Well, while there may not be another place to, there might not be another challenger for treasuries or bonds to park my money, my hundreds of billions of dollars if I'm, a, if I'm a sovereign nation, there may be no other currency I want to store my wealth in, but I could store it in gold. I could store it in oil. I could store it in lithium or other commodities and things like that. And that's exactly what's happening. So what we can see is that these BRICS nations are buying more and more gold and buying less and less U.S. treasuries. So there is no replacement for the dollar as the reserve asset, but there are other reserve assets, commodities. That's what's happening. For the currency side, for the trading side, they're already starting to use their own currencies. And this isn't just China. This isn't just Russia. This is India, Iran, Turkey, Venezuela. India is now buying oil from Saudi Arabia in their own currencies in the rupees. So you can start to see this. But here's the problem. 
they're talking about going back to some sort of a gold-backed system, even potentially having a gold-backed currency. Now, I broke this down before. I don't think it's a gold-backed currency like it was in the Bretton Woods Agreement. What they're talking about doing is more pegging, or what I, I don't know if they're necessarily talking about it, what I've seen, what I think is most likely to happen, is that their, their, their currencies would actually be referenced to uh, gold. So, for example, $1 would be worth a tenth of an ounce of gold, something like that. Sort of like the pound sterling was worth a pound of sterling silver, something like that. But the problem is, is that gold already failed. You see, gold didn't work, it failed, and I don't see how it works again. Why wouldn't it work? Well, there's a couple reasons. First of all, for gold to work, it requires trust. Why trust? Well, <laughs> I gave my gold to the bank. They're going to hold my gold for me, and they give me a paper certificate. But I have to trust them that they'll hold that gold for me. I have to trust them that they'll give me the gold back when I want it. Well, how'd that work out? Didn't work out too well. Didn't work out too well for Americans who had all their gold stolen. It didn't work out too well for all the nations of the world who came to get it back. As a matter of fact, France, France sent their warships to the United States to get the gold. This is an act of war. I don't have warships. Neither do you. Neither do any of these small nations either. So what chance do they have? They have to trust they'll get their money back. And this is the most important piece. There's another reason I'm going to talk about in a second. But I, I just want to, I want to pound on this for just a second because the entire system operates off of trust. And really the whole world does. Without trust, there, there's just no progress in the world. I have to trust that you're going to be a good actor. I have to trust if I give you something, you're going to pay me. I have to trust that if I make this, you're going to buy it. I have to trust that there's functioning markets. And without trust, the entire system is gone. And unfortunately, the U.S., which was the most trusted country in the world because of a strong rule of law and hundreds of years of track record, is now, it's just it's now gone. The trust is just gone. Now, the U.S. is still trusted more than China, sure. Uh, but none of these BRICS nations, Brazil, Russia, India, China, none of those nations, they trust each other. They don't trust each other at all. As a matter of fact, Vladimir Putin, president of Russia, the second largest country in the BRICS um, cooperation, couldn't even go to the meeting in South Africa, which is another one of the nations. He couldn't even go there because of fear of being arrested. So how's that going to work? Trust is gone. But there's more reasons why I won't work. I'm going to cover that in a minute. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. I'm breaking down the end of the international monetary system as we know it. I got a whole lot more to cover when I come back after a quick break. Don't go away. I'll be right back. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. 
I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning, is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine, and I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show, and we are talking about the end of the international monetary system as we know it. It sounds like a big deal, and it is. It is a pretty big deal. We talked about uh, all the way from history, who had a, what was the old system before the system that we're in now? How did that transition take place? What system are we in right now? How is this transition taking place? Uh, what's likely to come next? And so much more. If you missed it, don't worry. Just go check it out on the podcast. Just search The Mark Moss Show on your favorite podcast or go to YouTube and watch me on YouTube. Ad. Just search Market Disruptors and you can watch me and listen to me at the same time. So uh, we're breaking down um, sort of like the, the rise of the BRICS. And really, it's not just the rise of the BRICS. It's the rise of nations who no longer want to use the dollar. Now, many of these nations can't use the dollar because the dollar has been weaponized against them. And many of the nations, other nations are afraid that they might be next and for good reason, because uh, they probably are next. And so they're all trying to figure out what is the next situation. Now, in addition to being afraid of, you know, being sanctioned, which is a pretty big deal, um, they're also not a fan of the manipulation that's being caused. What do I mean by that? So um, as a matter of fact, they put this in a paper. China actually put this in a paper. And he said that they, they said that uh, the United States uh, is exploiting these other nations, like a modern day colonialism, exploiting these other nations by the ability to print dollars, to print $100 bills that cost the U.S. about 17 cents to produce but yet the other nations of the world, the actual producers, have to give up $100 worth of goods to get the 17-cent note. And that's exploitive because the U.S. just clicks a button, prints another trilly, sends it over to these nations, and they have to work in the fields and the farms and the mines for years to dig or produce stuff to give us for what the Fed just clicked the button for. So it is. It's highly manipulative. No nation wants that. And so that's all breaking down, okay? So uh, there's lots of need. Now, I, I, I want to pound on this for a second. As humans, unfortunately, you know, we're very, actually pretty basic creatures. We're, we're, we're not basic, but we sort of are. Our motivations are pretty simple. There's two things that motivate us. One, moving towards pleasure, and two, moving away from pain. That's it. And unfortunately for most of us, um, a lot of times we don't make moves until the pain is high enough. You might have had a, a friend or family member who was an alcoholic or drug addict, and you see the problem in their life. You see the problems happening. Their, their, their job's falling apart. Their career's falling apart. They're going bankrupt. They're getting divorced, whatever it may be. They're in and out of jail, you name it. 
but they don't see the problem. And so they don't want to get help. They have to hit rock bottom, right? So only when the pain gets high enough, but for most of these nations, the pain is high enough. Now, if you're Russia, you just got kicked out. The pain is extremely high. Iran, ex extremely high. Uh, but most of these nations are feeling that. And so they're all scrambling for this. But the problem is, like I said, they're kind of going back to gold. Now, gold doesn't work. I, I went over this. Why? One, because of trust. Trust is gone. How do these nations trust each other? Give me the gold. No, give me the food. No, give me the food. Give me the gold. You, no, you go first. No, you go first. Like, how is that going to work? How do I know that you really have the gold that you say you have? How do I know the gold isn't fake? I mean, China got caught with fake gold. So how does that work? We've tried that before. The problem is, is the world is advancing forward, but they're trying to go backwards. Now, you know, if you tune into me at all, you know, I say all the time, pretty much every show, it's always technology that changes the world. It's always technology. So how does going forward into a more technologically driven uh, world work when you want to go backwards into the monetary system. And it doesn't. It obviously doesn't. And here's why it doesn't. What's happened, and this is why gold failed. What's happened, and even back 100 years ago, the speed of transactions moved up. So what do I mean by that? Well, as global trade happened, I was able to use the telegram at the time and then the phone to make an order. Hey, a farmer on the other side of the country or the other side of the world, send me some bushels of wheat or send me more of this oil or this commodity. And so transaction time sped up, meaning the time it takes me to reach out, place the order and receive the goods. But the problem is, is that the settlement time didn't, didn't move. It's very slow to send gold. If I want to pay you in gold and I got to send you gold across the country or across the world, it takes a long time to get there, obviously, right? So settlement, uh, transaction time went up, settlement went slow. So they tried to add debt on top of that to speed up the settlement, but we didn't get final settlement. So if they want to go back to gold today, one, they have the trust problem. That's a big problem. But two, they don't have the settlement solution. So how do they go backwards? Well, it doesn't work. So what other solutions can they have? Well, it appears that at this point, the solution is to go to some sort of a digital money that might move very fast. Now, again, we still have the trust problem. So we have to kind of come up with something that's more neutral that can solve that problem as well. Now, as I said kind of earlier, a lot of people would say that there's no replacement for the dollar because of the, the correspondent banks and the bond markets and things like that. And they're right about those things. But what happens is with technology is that nations tend to leapfrog. So for example, the United States had wired telephones and we were able to get internet pretty quickly because we used the wired telephones. Africa didn't have wired telephones and they just leapfrogged past and went straight to wireless. And now what we see is China, China, Hong Kong, Bank of Malaysia, the UAE, in coordination with the BIS, the Bank of International Settlements, is working on a new system for central bank digital currencies and under a project name called Project Embridge. Now, Project Embridge is a way where each nation can have their own currency, like has been recommended through the BRICS nations. Everyone should use their own currency. So everyone can have their own currency. It's a digital currency, a CBDC currency. And then using Project Embridge, they can all be converted and swapped somehow. That's a plan. So by doing that, they don't need the correspondent banks. They don't need the SWIFT system. So it's not like uh, they have to go build their own SWIFT system. They'll just go to a completely different system altogether. So that's what's being, that, that's the most likely scenario. They, they probably mostly realize that the gold isn't going to work. Maybe they can go to something like this. But the problem is still one. We have a trust problem. Now, the part of that trust problem has been solved because now we can have 
quick settlement, maybe potentially final settlement, if you will, of those CBDCs. But the bigger problem is it's still fiat currency. It doesn't solve the problem as we've gone back through from the Bank of England to the Fed of massive amounts of money printing. Obviously, the more money you print, the, worth, the less that money is worth, which causes massive inflation, which we see spiraling out of control all around the world. The massive amounts of debt. We talked about the percentage of deficit spending to GDP of production. Is it completely exploding? Now, it typically happens in wars, and now we have wars everywhere we look. And so if the government is going to continue to print money, we continue to get more debt, we continue to have more inflation, we continue to have lower standard of living, um, which is causes a breakdown. We cover this all the time in every area of life. And so if they could take care of the trust problem, if they can take care of the speed of settlement problem, they still have the problem of having a fiat currency, which could be printed in mass. And so in my opinion, it sort of sounds like, and I, I posed this question to Peter Zion. I talked to him, I had him on my show and, and, uh, he kind of, he kind of set, we had this whole conversation and he kind of sets this up how no nation is going to trust each other and every nation is going to be looking out for themselves and every nation is going to be trying to manage their own uh, books, their own commodities, their own money. And they're not going to trust each other. And I said, it sort of sounds like we need like a decentralized ledger that nobody can control because in a world where you don't trust anybody, who are you going to trust to hold the ledger? Even in the project Enbridge, who are you going to trust to do the swap? And of course we have one, that's Bitcoin, right? So Bitcoin gives us this decentralized ledger that nobody can control. It's a neutral reserve asset that can be used, that can be stored, and it can be transferred almost free and almost instantaneous at the same time. Instead of every nation using their own currency, instead of every nation trying to manage their supply and manipulate their prices, instead of trying to trust a, a central administrator like the Enbridge, like the BIS, to, to manage this process, there's all of that trust that's required in that system. We can just go to a new system that's considered trustless. <laughs> that nobody can control, that has all the benefits. And so while it seems like if I'm, if I'm having to guess, it looks like, you know, most likely we're already seeing that gold is being that reserve asset. If you just tune in, you're listening to the Mark Ma Show. We've been breaking down the end of the international monetary system as we know it today. It's a long show. Hopefully you caught it. If not, you can catch me on the podcast. Just search the Mark Ma Show on your favorite podcast player or check it out on YouTube at Market Disruptors channel. And that's what I got. Let me know on social media what you think about that show today. Thanks for listening. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. 
We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.